everybody. Welcome back to the Double Down WNBA podcast. This is Eric Nemchak with Stephen Trinkwald. As always, we are continuing with our 2023 team outlooks. Uh, the Indiana Fever, Stephen, uh, they were not a very good team in 2022. No, it was once again a rough go for the Fever. They were 5-31 and last year, Eric. That was uh, good for the worst team in the league. Good for uh, fifth worst win percentage in league history. They were last in net rating at negative 12.9. Uh, only ninth worst net rating of all time. So a little bit better than their only, yeah. their raw win percentage. They were 12th in offense, 95.2 points per 100 possessions. Per 100 possessions. 12th in defense, 108.1 points allowed per 100 possessions. Um, this was the third season in a row, Eric, that they were the worst defense in the league. And they were the first team since the 2011 Tulsa Shock to be both the worst offense and the worst defense in the league. It, I don't know how far back our listenership goes with WNBA watching, but those Shock were very, very, very bad teams. So the Fever, not in great company there. Yeah, honestly, kind of surprising that it hasn't happened more often, um, having you know, being worse in both categories, but it's been over a decade, but hey, the fever got it done. Um, it, it didn't seem all that bad, I guess, to start out. Uh, you know, they, they, right. they started out a mere two and seven after the first uh, nine games. Um, they uh, then fired Marianne Stanley uh, and replacing uh, Stanley with Carlos Knox. I think there was some excitement around the league when Knox took over, um, but it, it didn't go too well, Eric, from there. No, he went 3-24 and in his tenure as head coach with a negative 14.2 net rating. Uh, 19 of those 24 losses came by double digits. Um, just a lot of no-hope games, really. I mean, it was clear that this was the worst team in the league. Uh, you know, and, and Knox, I think he had the reputation of being like a, a player's first coach who was really heavy on development, which is, to be fair, you know, what this team needed. It was a young team. It was not necessarily a cohesive team, but... Man, was it a rough watch. Yeah, and I'm not even really sure in some ways, you know, how much there was focus on development. Obviously, uh, you know, Nelissa Smith kind of had the green light to to do what she wanted to do. But there were a lot of games late in the season where, you know, Emma Cannon was playing a lot more minutes than their rookie center, Queen Egbo. Um, yeah, that's true. Destiny Henderson was not playing heavy minutes over D-Rob. So, I mean, I'm sure there was a lot of, you know, uh, behind-the-scenes focus going on with that development, but it didn't necessarily come on the court, I guess. So if we go into the synergy statistics, I mean, this just backs it up. Um, they were not very good at any play type, really. Um, they were last in post-up points for percentage, 11th in pick-and-roll ball handler, 8th in pick-and-roll roll man, 12th in spot-up percentage. So so spot-ups and post-ups, those are usually the two big ones. They were last in both of those categories. 10th on cuts, 11th on offensive rebounds, and 11th in transition points per possessions. Like, they were okay at handoffs, but, you know, otherwise they really had no go-to play type for efficient offense. Like, they were just bad everywhere. Yeah, and typically, at least by synergy log logs, uh, you know, handoffs are not like a super high usage play. You're, you're not No, really it's always like 4 to 5% or something yeah, like that. Yeah, and kind of maybe, you know, the 6th or 7th most frequent play type for a given team. But you mentioned they were 11th in transition points per possession. They were also the worst team in the league at turning the ball over on offense, and thus they gave up the highest proportion of transition possessions defensively. Their opponents got out and ran at the best rate in the league, or the worst rate in the league, I should say. Uh, they allowed the highest opponent free throw attempt in the league. They were horrible at defensive rebounding. And that one was a little bit surprising to me because they always did play, you know, two traditional bigs. I would consider uh, Smith and Egbo and Cannon all, you know, traditional bigs. I guess they played a lot of Engsler-Smith lineups too, so that's not necessarily true what I just said. But um, And, you know, they were one of the highest proportion of uh, allowed one of the highest proportions of shots around the rim and one of the highest field goal percentages around the rim. So there was not, not a recipe for good defense. No, there was not really a ton of like silver linings kind of going through uh, what this team did last year. Um, and thus we will not talk about that for much longer. <laughs> That's true. They were also, I did just want to shout out. They were the worst uh, free throw shooting team in the league at under 75%, only team in the league under 75% from the line. And they were, a horrible shooting team inside the arc. 
sub 44% from two point range, just to kind of provide some context that the 10th worst team shot 48%. So they were, uh, you know, almost in a, a whole, by a country mile. Yeah. Almost in a whole different, you know, playing a, playing a different sport in terms of their efficiency from two. And, you know, this was a team that I think kind of got some people excited early in the season. As I was saying, they were sort of like fun, bad, but I, I think as the season went, went on, it just did kind of turn into like regular bad and, and not that fun bad. And before we move on, I think it's good to mention their uh, franchise player or maybe their second franchise player now, uh, Kelsey Mitchell. She had probably the best season of her career in 2022, averaged a career-high 18.4 points per game, knocks down over 40% of her three-pointers, which is a pretty darn good figure on the volume that she shoots that basketball at, and averaged 4.2 assists per game, which is also a career-high. Steven, anything you want to say about Mitchell? I mean, I think we're both pretty big fans on this podcast, at least as an offensive player. It did seem like she took significant steps as a playmaker last season, although clearly still not the uh, level of play who can just carry a team from being bad to mediocre, at least. Yeah, I agree. But we did see some of the strides that we have kind of been waiting for or hoping for, I should say, as a playmaker, as someone that can kind of set her teammates up. She was at a 25% assist percentage last year, a huge jump from the previous season where she was at basically 15% while being able to maintain her own usage, which is great. You know, her turnovers did not really increase that much. And she was able to get her efficiency back from the previous season in 2021, where she kind of had a little bit of a a down year was, you know, kind of league average in terms of her true shooting percentage. But because she, you know, shot basically 41% on over six threes per 36 minutes, uh, despite having her worst two-point shooting season in a couple years um she was back up to 56 almost 57 percent true shooting last year and you know i do agree with you that despite the assist numbers being up really way up compared to where she's usually at yeah um, it was it wasn't even close yeah 4.6 assists per 36 minutes you know last season 2.7 the prior season 3.2 so uh, a significant jump but it you know, we're still not talking about the lead kind of initiator for others on like a really good offense. And, you know, that bears out in the, the numbers. Obviously, they were better with Kelsey Mitchell on the court, but even with Mitchell on the court, you know, they were comfortably below a 100 offensive rating. So it's not like her by herself was able to drive some awesome offense, but definitely, you know, a, a great season. And still, even despite the lack of kind of team success so far in her career. One of my favorite players to, to watch uh, on offense. Might as well. Okay, now we move on. Uh, Fever, not a very busy offseason for a team that was so terrible last season. Steven, you want to go over what they did? Yeah, not much, really. I mean, they traded Danielle Robinson for Christy Wallace and essentially what was the first move of the offseason, I'm, I'm pretty sure. They signed Erica Wheeler to a two-year max. Uh, they brought in... Maya Caldwell on a, a one-year deal, I think it was a little bit over her minimum, and they lost Tiffany Mitchell to the Minnesota Lynx. So a lot of returning players here, players that I guess, you know, have I kind of mixed standings in the organization, uh, uncertain futures, we could say. I think, you know, how I wanted to kind of start this conversation is just like taking a big picture look at their rebuild in terms of like what level of players ha- have they been able to bring in here uh, as their sort of building blocks aside from Kelsey Mitchell, who I, you know, I agree with you, if not their franchise player, like a franchise cornerstone, I think, you know, I don't, I don't think she's going anywhere. In that's that's of, fair. Yeah. yeah. Erica Wheeler, you know, kind of a, a bridge the gap type of point guard probably. Um, but outside of that, they have, and outside of Victoria Vivians, who we will get to, uh, a lot of players in, you know, basically their first or second year, you know, up and down this roster. Not a lot of players that are even close to their second contract yet outside of the players that we just mentioned here. So, you know, just kind of running through these young players here and uh, on the scale that we've used in the past of, you know, superstar, star, plus starter, high-end rotation player, end-of-the-rotation type player, you know, what, what type of players do they have? Um, kind of coming through the the organization here. I, I think it makes sense to start with the number one pick, Aaliyah Boston. Uh, what do you see as kind of the the most likely outcome for Boston? You know, how should they feel with what they have in Boston? Yeah, I suppose I, sh- I suppose we should have mentioned uh, when we were talking about them 2022, the silver lining was that they 
did finally get that number one overall draft pick, which they had eluded them for many, many, many years. And uh, they got a number one pick in a pretty darn good draft, or at least a pretty good draft to get a number one overall pick in. Aaliyah Boston, center from South Carolina. Steven, I think she's going to be a superstar. Really, I do. A lot of players from South Carolina, because of this uh, unorthodox offensive system you see for them, uh, effective for the collegiate level for sure, but very unorthodox. You do need to kind of take into account what they accomplished there in the context of that system, which is like everyone in the paint all at once, uh, super reliant on offensive rebounding, not a lot of shooting, but Boston really kind of embodied that. I just have the utmost confidence in her adjusting the pro game, pro game quickly based on how quickly she adjusted to the college game. You know, I know they're obviously two very different beasts, but Boston, when she was a freshman at South Carolina, she was basically an elite positional defender right away, right out of the box. And she only got better. Her last two seasons, she had a foul rate of 3% and 2.5%, respectively. And for a player who blocks as many shots as she does, and for a player who is overall as physical as she is, that's incredible to me. And, I mean, and she just, just always a, like as involved in the action as Boston yeah. is. Yeah, I mean, she's just never fouled. And that's... And, you know, listening to this podcast, you know, we love uh, players who help control the free throw game. And Boston is going to help do that, really on both ends of the court for the Fever, but particularly on defense. I really love how she can defend without fouling. It's it's remarkable. Um, and she's also got she's also got the strength to defend physically when, you know, oftentimes you, t- you see WMA players come in and they just get kind of pushed around a little bit. It takes them to develop that pro-level strength. I think Boston is going to have that right away. I mean, you just look at her frame. She's got those broad shoulders. She's got the low center of gravity as well. She's not an easy player to push around by any means. Um, she's a great box out player as well. So physically, I think she's going to translate. Defensively, I think she's going to be one of the best defensive bigs as a rookie we've seen in a long time. Then offensively, I think she's just going to be the leader of the next generation of the league's best low post scorers. Um, you know, she's already got most of the package. She's got great footwork. She's got nice touch around the rim. She can finish with both hands, and she's got the patience as well. There, there, you don't often see Aaliyah Boston when she gets the ball on a post-up. You don't often see her rush things or try and score over three defenders or whatever. Usually she, she can at the collegiate level, but I like to go back to Sylvia Fowles when she was early in her WNBA career. She would oftentimes try to force things. You know, she would very rarely pass out of double teams. I don't think Boston is going to have that issue unless she's coached to just go up with it at any given time. I think she's really good at, you know, just reading defenses and making the right play out of double teams. And again, going back to the context of South Carolina's offense, I think it's going to be much more appreciated in the WNBA. Uh, It was a popular talking point, I think, in the days leading up to the draft. Oh, Boston isn't going to see as many double and triple teams. Well, maybe not. But when she does, the other side of that coin is there are going to be many more adept offensive players surrounding her, uh, no matter what kind of defensive coverage she's seeing. So I think her her feel for the game is going to be on full display in the WNBA. So maybe like the one thing she's missing is like a more of like a finesse finish, like a short turnaround jump shot or like a, a Sylvia Fowles baby hook, like kind of like a counter move if she's getting if she's getting pushed off the block or something like that. But otherwise, I think her game is pro ready. And it, and it has been really on both ends of the court. So I feel great about her being a good player on both ends of the court right away. And I think there's even more room for her to grow as well so given how few bigs steven there are who are great on both ends of the court especially you know in that in that post score archetype i've got no problem calling Aaliyah boston a future superstar yeah i agree with you and i think the point about her i mean obviously we know like about the defense and the post scoring and everything like that but the point about her ability to survey the defense from the low block passing out of double teams i think it's probably her most underappreciated skill Obviously, it's... Because, like, you never saw that at South Carolina because who is she kicking it out to? Yeah, and the other offensive players typically a lot of times are kind of in her same area. You know, there's there's not really a lot of room for her to, you know, spread the ball around to. But she's definitely good at that, uh, and I imagine that she'll be able to carry that skill over. Um, but this is a player who has, you know, best defensive player in the league type of ceiling, I think. You could very easily see her being a perennial defensive player of the year candidate uh you know she yeah. she's maybe not the most versatile defensive player in terms of like the number of different schemes that are going to kind of maximize her ability but she should be able to do what she does well better than like just about any other center in the league i think um 
and see, Stephen, I don't think that that even necessarily really matters because you know what is she? She's good at every. She's great at everything you need your center to be great at, which is protecting the rim, defensive rebounding, defending without fouling, blocking shots. I mean, do you think she'll be able to defend out on the perimeter if you have a, a more modern uh, defensive philosophy? No, but I don't really care. <laughs> you know, like I, I think you don't really need to have that super aggressive at least not as a five you know i don't think you need your five to be able to do that maybe your one through four can do that but she's like she's like going to be like the ultimate um safety net on defense if you will she's going to be able to erase mistakes so i don't think put, put, uh, putting her out there is going to i don't know if it'd be a good idea yeah not, but i think against the very best teams in the league you're usually going to have to do that um Okay, sure. So teams who can play five out. Yeah, which is usually what you're going to run into in the, the WNBA. Okay, sure. I mean, we're talking about a rookie center here, so there's a, a lot that can happen between now and when she has to face those situations. But, I mean, you think about a player like Jonquil Jones, who is a, a great defensive player, but she just could not hang on the perimeter in the 2019 finals against the Mystics. You know, you remember those uh emma misam and pick and pops like just over and over and over again like they just had no answer for that i i think when you're talking about a primarily drop center in a league where you just look at you know the last half decade or so with the exception of uh uh kia stokes basically as as the aces center like you're always just going to be playing teams that um are going to be able to space you out so uh, I, I think it's maybe something to consider a, a little bit but Again, like the drop coverage and the traditional center stuff, like she should be just absolutely awesome on that. Offensively, like I don't really know what to expect in terms of upside. She was very, very efficient in college, 60% true shooting the past two seasons in what I think we would both consider not the most friendly offensive environment. Um, you know, they had a great offensive rating as a team because they were, you know, rebounding 55% of their misses or something each year. But that that doesn't really reflect in an individual's true shooting. So for her to still be that efficient, you know, when she's basically always drawing a double team, always playing with a pretty cramped floor around her, I think really the, their system and, and their talent at South Carolina probably affected her usage more than her efficiency, you know, only 21% last season. I'm sure if she played with, you know, a, a system that could just kind of let her go to work down there a little bit more, you would hope maybe that's a, a little bit higher, but you know, she doesn't really profile to stretch the floor. We we don't really have any idea what she's going to look like as a pick-and-roll player, either finishing for herself or making plays out of the short roll. Like, I mean, you know, I'm not the the greatest, like, person to kind of have this, like, uh, college recollection or anything like that. But I, I would just wonder, like, when when have we had, like, a, a, a big of this kind of, you know, prospect profile where you just had no idea what to expect as a pick-and-roll player? Uh, I mean, maybe even Shakira Austin last year, because it's not like Ole Miss was spacing the floor. But even still, like I think this is kind of a, a different thing entirely. But I would say maybe like Brianna Jones, because sure. she okay. was mainly a post up player at Maryland. But I mean, you look at that and it's like, was it the chicken or the egg? Was she a post up player because they didn't believe in post ups, or was she a post up player because she was really freaking good at it? And I think we know the answer to that question now. So yeah, but also with Brianna Jones, uh, took her a while in the WNBA to kind of to find that pick and roll game. And, and she's got there now, but you know, her first four seasons or so, that was definitely not a strength of hers. Um, but anyway, I, I agree with you, you know, uh, superstar, she's uh, a foundational piece of this team. And I'm not sure how much it will reflect winning in year one, but you know, they should feel good that they have their center of the future and probably, you know, a player who should be one of the, the two or three best players at the position, you know, five years from now, probably. So Next player we should talk about, I think their lottery pick from last season, Nalissa Smith. A little bit of a positional overlap, you know, they're four and five. Um, but what do you think about Nalissa Smith, uh, you know, in a vacuum? And then also we can kind of talk about the fit with Aaliyah Boston. Yeah, that's a good idea because I think there are two things you need to consider there. Um, I went with Star, um, but she's got a long way to go for two reasons. One, the offensive efficiency just has a long way to go. It could just be something as simple as adjusting her shot diet. She takes a lot of long twos, or she took a lot of long twos in her, her rookie season. I could see her offensive ceiling as something like maybe like a Neka Gumake-ish, but that's a very high bar to clear because I'm not sure she cuts or screens nearly as well as Gumake does. Um, like I think she's got the finishing potential there, 
but the shot the shot diet would just need a, a drastic overhaul there out of you know out of the uh, pick and pop and out of spot ups and stuff like that just defense in general like is it ever going to be at a plus level because you need your bigs to be, able to be able to play defense and i mean obviously smith has the athleticism to be a plus defensive playmaker but is the discipline ever going to be there you know if she if that never comes around i'm gonna have a hard time calling her a star because again as a big like it, it's really hard to be a plus contributor overall if you're not a good defensive player yeah it, it's hard to be like a, an offense only player at this position so much easier as, yeah. a, as a guard i think and you know it, it's good that you brought brought up her fit next to boston because i think we need to consider how much playing next to boston is going to either help or hinder those developments obviously you don't want both of these players occupying the same space on the floor but given that boston doesn't really have much of an outside game either um, and that's something that smith is at least kind of developing i don't know man like boston is going to be obviously a terrific anchor to cover for smith's defensive deficiencies right but how is her offensive game going to develop alongside a mostly paint-bound center you know is that going to encourage her to shoot more threes or is it going to encourage her to shoot more long twos that's that's my major question so or maybe be more active without the ball in her hand that's that's true that's true you you can you can uh kind of negate those uh positional overlaps with with good cutting but that's another area where i said i think smith has a long way to go a long way to go yeah no i i agree with you i you know i'm a little higher i think i I did put superstar here with the caveat of like nelissa smith probably has the most like volatility of outcomes of any potential star in the league. I think like, I think there's at least a reasonable chance that for the reasons that you just mentioned, she just doesn't become a high impact player in that way. You know, the- like she could become Steven, like, sorry, she could become like, I, I could see her averaging like 18, 19 points a game with eight rebounds and making several all-star, all-star games. But is the efficiency going to be there? Is she ever going to reach like, 58 59 60 percent true shooting you know yeah i i think that's a, a huge question mark and the shot diet is a big part of that she uh you know basically shot 30 percent on twos outside of eight feet her rookie season on basically a third of her total field goal attempts so you know when she she got to the rim you know there were just these flashes of like oh my god nobody can stay in front of this player uh you know flashes of both like vertical and, and horizontal athleticism that I think are very rare in the WNBA. And that's why, you know, with the skill that she also has with the basketball, I, I just see her having like the ceiling of the absolute ceiling, which doesn't mean it's a likely outcome, but the absolute ceiling of being, you know, one of the two or three best offensive players in the league at some point, I think she has a higher offensive ceiling than the player that we just talked about, Aliyah Boston. And, you know, the highest offensive ceiling of the last two drafts, frankly, I would say, but a lot of room between now and then to uh, kind of clean things up in terms of habits of shot diet and how you can kind of maximize those possessions and the possessions where you don't have the ball to have a little bit of a floor game, I think. I think her floor game could definitely use some improvements to, to kind of piggyback off what you said, like become a better screener, cut hard, you know, timely cuts, especially when you're playing alongside another potential superstar like uh, with Aaliyah Boston. So, I mean, I I would feel pretty good about the combination that they have here. You know, I think intuitively to me, even with it not being a perfect fit, like just right off the bat, you know, it makes more sense than uh, a Tierra McCowan, like Lauren Cox combination that, that they tried to build around a sure. few years ago. Um, I mean, granted, I think these two are two better players, but even just like their games, irrespective of, of talent, I think are a little bit more compatible than uh, what those two players were doing. But, you know, the pass needs to improve. The defense needs to improve. Like there's just not a lot of like high impact fours that are not at least good on defense. Never mind, you know, slightly below average. I think I like her. I'm a big fan. I would be heavily invested in her if I was the organization that drafted her, but there's a lot of ways that it just might not work out the best it possibly could. Moving on to Grace Berger, who they selected at number seven overall this season. I went with high-end rotation player. There's a lot of about her game that's safe. You know, that's that's why I'm being kind of safe with my projection. Uh, in college, you know, she was she was defined by a few things. That's just being 
steady, being mature as a point guard who played at a very methodical pace. I always like to describe Berger's game with that word pace because, you know, we usually think of talk about pace as, oh, this team goes, this team plays really fast or this player plays really fast. With her, it's just, it's, it's very deliberate. And I don't mean that in a derogatory way. Um, she was very difficult to speed up, difficult to get her to make bad decisions. Everything about her game is, you know, we, we talk about floor versus ceiling. Everything about Berger's game is high floor. You know, she was really good at using ball screens to get to her spots on the floor. She makes that mid-range jump shot look like a piece of cake. She generally doesn't make many mistakes, and she just plays very methodically. I'm not sure, however, this is going to translate to the pros. You know, I think it's more likely she's a she turns out to be more of a game manager type of point guard than someone who's going to elevate the play of her teammates. However, you know, she is about six feet tall as a point guard, and that's that's going to give her a big advantage in that area. You don't see many point guards playing at that kind of height in the WNBA. So with, maybe with plus wingspan, I should say. As yeah, well. yeah, she's she, physically speaking, you know, she's she's a big point guard for sure, and she does have you know that that elevation on her shot. Um, she gets to her spots a lot, maybe easier than you'd expect her to. Uh, like she's not like an explosive player, but she can elevate. She can get that shot. She can get those shots at the rim. I'd feel so much better about Berger's game, honestly, if she'd had any semblance of a three point shot at all. Like that was just never there at Indiana, and that's that's kind of a bummer. So maybe if that develops, I'd say yeah, you know, definitely a starting point guard in this league. As of right now, I think she's just like I said, more of a safe, high floor type of player. Defense, I, I think she's gonna be more of a a system defender than like a a lock and trail or a lockdown point of attack defender. You don't see her as like a stopper necessarily. No, 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 not at all, not at all. In fact, I think that's one of the many weaknesses we're going to talk about regarding this team uh, in the coming minutes. But yeah, I, I think Berger is just going to be like this, this high floor game manager type of player, which again, that's, that, that's no, that's not a, I'm not saying that in a derogatory way, but that's, I think is the most likely outcome for her. I guess, how do you feel about just her as like a, a distributor? Like, a, an, I shouldn't say distributor as an initiator, like running the offense. You, it seems like you're, you know, kind of in the, the boat of like capable but she's not really going to be like a plus in that regard like she's yeah you should run exactly. your offense through burger exclusively i don't think they're going to do that i don't think that's going to be a, a likely scenario and if it is i don't think that's a, a high ceiling environment for her um she doesn't really have that that extra gear offensively or at least as a passer we talk about it all the time that term value added passer i'm not sure she's that um, she's efficient with her passing. Like she's not going to turn it over a lot. The assisted turnover uh, numbers have always looked pretty good at IU. But when you watch her play, some of those head-to-head passes, a lot of them don't really have much juice on them. She's not a player who's going to like get the screen, drive all the way to the rim, and find the shooter in the corner. That's not going to be there very often, I don't think. Um, maybe you know, in in pro level spacing, that will be there more often. But I don't think she's a play, uh, a point, the type of point guard who you're just going to run that high ball screen for over and over and over and just let her dissect the defense. I don't think she's that type of point guard. Yeah, I also went with um, high-end rotation player. I mean, I think the the avenue to, you know, plus starter is there if if she becomes a good three-point shooter because that's going to open up a lot of other things for her. Um, but, you know, I, I like her game in the sense that she is sort of a wing-sized playmaker. She can help you if she can defend at multiple positions which i think she'll be able to do okay again maybe not as like a lockdown player but you know if if the other team's third best offensive player is a three you know you you won't really have a problem putting grace Berger on that three i think um third best perimeter i'm, I'm sure player. is she gonna be a better wing defender than a point of attack defender i would say probably I think she could be and i think that might be helpful for this team and, and the personnel that they have but you know it's it might be nice for the how she can kind of fit into a rebuilding team that she can, you know, maybe defend one through three and that can help you either play with all size on the perimeter. Or if you have say a point guard size player who isn't really the lead initiator type, you know, maybe you can run the offense through burger a little bit more. You know, I like that she's, you know, big and strong and can punish smaller players. If she's playing the one, you know, she can play in the pick and roll a little bit. You know, the thing about, Berger at this level is and a lot of players of this ilk like you offer very little off ball at this point you know we hope that improves so you better be really good on the ball as a creator sure and where 
I think it sounds like we're not too sure if Berger is really going to be that type of like, okay, when she's on the floor, she should have the ball in her hands every possession because she's going to make things happen at a high level. But if you don't shoot threes as a wing player, you know, it's hard to not have the ball in your hand, basically. So, you know, it for a player that I think has sort of, uh, like you said, Eric, kind of like a safe game, I think there's a little bit more volatility to to this type of player because, you know, if, if it doesn't work on ball, it's definitely not going to work off ball. So, mm-hmm. but for her skill set and her size, um, you know, I think it was a good pick at seven. I, I'm a fan of her game. I think, you know, I, I tend to believe in that, that she's going to be able to make it work, but I won't be floored if it just doesn't really happen at this level, I think. Um, but again, I, I, I was with you. High end rotation player is where I ended up here. Okay. Up next, we've got Emily Engstler who I also had as a high-end rotation player. Uh, in my opinion, she's one of the most unique players in the league because there just aren't many other players who share her combination of strengths and weaknesses, nor are they as obvious as those strengths and weaknesses. So she's an elite defensive antici- She's got elite defensive anticipation. There's no doubt about that. She's basically going to sleepwalk her way into multi-stock games, right? And then offensively, she's got pretty good juice off the dribble for her size and playmaking ability. Like, she can beat her defender off the dribble and, you know, make those drop-off passes or even kick it to the corner and, and find the open shooter there. But it's offset by really, really bad finishing at the rim. Like, the numbers are not good at all, finishing at the rim. Poor free-throw shooting, which is kind of interesting because her three-point shooting has been, you know, decent for a few years now. But the free-throw shooting has just not been good. Yeah, can I give you those um, numbers? Sure. Because I think, you know, it's... One of the more interesting things about kind of projecting Angsler's game really is. Is, is how she kind of how real the three-point shooting is because she's been 36% on threes over her last 225 attempts. That's covering her last two years of college, her rookie WNBA season, and this first season overseas. So that's a a decent sample size. But in that same time span, she's 61% at the line on 205 attempts. So that's obviously that correlation is not everything, but I don't know, man, like 61% at the free throw line, you'd think well, there's a either a better, a much better shooter or a much worse shooter in there, and, and one of them's got to come to reality. Steven, if you watch Angstler shoot the ball, it does kind of check out because the, the percentages are, are they're okay, but she has some bad misses out there too. Like how many air balls do you think she shot in the, in the WNBA last season? I, I recall several, so it's just very weird. And she gets into foul trouble pretty easily too. You know, r- rookies, I guess that's... Not a, not a huge deal, but um, I don't know. Like I, I think ultimately her strengths are going to overshadow her weaknesses enough for her to be a valuable player. But what I don't know is how long she's going to be able to stay on the floor to have a big enough impact. You know, she's she's one of those she's one of those chaos agents where she's going to make things happen when she's on the floor, but you just don't know if they're going to be good for your team or good for the other team. So I'm hesitant to call her anything more than a high end rotation player. I, her her archetype is absolutely fascinating to me. And if she can get down at least one of those weaknesses, if she can improve upon at least just one of those, like the rim, the finishing at the rim, for instance, or just become a knockdown three-point shooter, yeah, she's going to be a great rotation player. But as of now, I mean, there are just so many holes. Just a, a very interesting player. Yeah, this was the toughest one for me to categorize, not even because like I'm not sure what type of player Emily Engsler will become, because I think you know, maybe we have a pretty good read on that, but just how valuable that player is. I ended up going with, uh, with what you said, high-end rotation player. You know, she's, I think, going to be a defensive star in some capacity, and she has a very complimentary offensive floor game. The thing about her shooting, the other thing I should say about her shooting besides kind of the wonky free throw to three-point splits is like, I'm not sure even if the percentages hold up that the volume is ever really going to be there to make up for that's true how she's looked as a two-point scorer uh you know maybe she should just start firing them away maybe these percentages with just some improvement at the rim you know that'll be good enough as an offensive player she shouldn't be taking a ton of like the in-between game really those type of like mid-range shots you know everything for her role i think should be shooting threes, cutting to the rim, attacking closeouts. You know, she shouldn't be doing too much self-creation 12 to 18 feet or something like that. She did have more assists to turnovers last season, which is a pretty positive development for her since that did not happen once as a college player. Uh, But you mentioned 
you know, the falls, you know, is she ever going to be able to play, you know, more than 25 minutes a game when you're averaging over six falls per 36 minutes? I I don't see that. Yeah. I don't see 25 minutes a game from her. What is her position? I think her, her skill set kind of makes for a better big, but she's really, she doesn't really have great size for a big. Um, But, you know, she, I think the hope is that she can fill out a number of different defensive roles. You mentioned the defensive playmaking. She's a great out of area rebounder. I don't know, like, I just, she's a player that I was super high on in the draft, and I try not to take too much stock in a rookie season like this, where the situation isn't great, a lot of it is just kind of poor finishing at the rim, and, you know, we just tend to believe in players to kind of come around with their finishing at the rim, you know, a player I'm still high on, but I went with high-end rotation player. I could see myself being wrong in either direction on this one, to be honest with you. Yeah, me too. Okay, moving on to another uh, player who was featured prominently on the 2022 team, Queen Egbo, who I had... uh, This was a surprise for me. I had her as a high-end rotation player, and that may seem a little uh, high, but let me explain. Uh, She does two things that bigs need to be good at really well, and that's defend and help and rebound the basketball. You know, is she a is she a good offensive player? No, no, not at all. Um, but in her ideal role, I don't think you need her to be some kind of go to offensive player in order for her to be a valuable one, um, especially for her position. Like you think about last season, how many points was her true shooting driven down by, just from those wasted post up possessions? You know, you you probably found me on several occasions raging on Twitter because they would just <laughs> bounce the ball down into Eggbo in the post for just. Very, very uh, poor post-up possessions. Um, on a good team, I don't think that happens very often, if at all. So then you basically, her, her impact is defined by what she is doing on the defensive end of the court, which I think she does better than most. You know, if, if there's one thing WNBA teams will do year over year, it is bring in rebounding specialists from the big position to basically sit on the end of the bench and do nothing. And I think Egbo is a cut above most of those players due to her defensive playmaking. I agree. Um, if you look at Boston and Egbo as a combination, uh, first of all, I hope they don't play together because that would be terrible. But when they're playing, um, when Egbo is coming off the bench behind Boston, you're going to get 40 minutes of at least above average rim protection. And that's key for being a good team. I don't know how many other teams in the league can say that. Uh, so that's why I have her as a high-end rotation player. You know, maybe not... Maybe not a flashy game, um, and at times a probably a frustrating game, but I was already impressed by where she was at as a rookie, and I think just with maybe a little bit of tweaking and, and better coaching, she can be a, a valuable like seventh or eighth best player on a team. Yeah, I I don't disagree with that. I also did have high in rotation player, but you know in a vacuum. But at the same time, I I don't see her as the third big for this team because, like you just said, we hope. She doesn't play any minutes at all with their franchise player. Who? Oh yeah, she's strictly a backup five. Yeah, and Aaliyah Boston, I don't think has too much positional versatility either. Maybe if she, you know, expands her offensive game, but you know, even defensively, like we don't really want her guarding fours. I don't think like they're they're two strictly center players. So, um, you know, I I just think in some ways maybe Queen Egbo just like fits a team building model better as your fifth starter on a team that doesn't have like a star center than a bench player because she she's just a one positional player, um, and you know I look we we talk about post ups a lot in the show. Uh, good players should do them. Good post up players should be given post ups. You know post ups are very efficient plays when they are you know, given to very good post-up players and they can be just... Of which there are not many. There are not many and they can just be no chance offensive possessions when they're given to the wrong players. So, you know, this is a player who should just strictly be a play finisher. Like get rid of the token post-ups against other centers, get rid of the face-up game, the mid-range game, which, you know, we probably saw more than I was expecting at least from her. You know, I, I think I just like Emily Engsler as a third big alongside Nalissa Smith or alongside... Aaliyah Boston better than I like Queen Egbo in her specific game. But this is a player that I think, you know, could start on a pretty decent team and maybe, again, not play 32 minutes a game, but be, you know, a a big and a a pretty good rotation. Okay, moving on. Uh, Destiny Henderson. So I went back and I looked at my notes for the 25 under 25 exercise that we do every year. 
And I realized I had her right after Agbo, and I, I thought about it, and I kind of soured on her game a little bit, at least projecting long-term for this team. So I had to end up the rotation player, and here's why. It's not like I don't think Henderson is good. I'm just not sure how much value she's going to have to this team long-term. You know, one of the questions, I mean, we kind of already addressed this already, but one of the questions we have about the fever is who's making plays for others, who's shifting defenses, who has their ball in their hands, uh, who's going to be, you know, maximizing their teammates' talent. You would think that Henderson, Henderson needs to be the obvious answer to that question, but she just isn't for whatever reason. I think you could probably, if you want to kind of simplify it, she's more of a, a two and a one's body. I believe, didn't you compare her to kind of Lexi Brown in, in that aspect on Twitter? Yeah, Le- I... Lexi or uh, maybe Ari McDonald. I mean, does yeah. does having Berger on this team, like, does that make you feel better about Henderson being on the floor? Because you have, she can guard ones without having to do like lead initiating. Uh, it actually makes me feel not so good that she'll be on the team at all. But <laughs> I, I digress. Um uh, I think I think she's got more juice off the dribble than than Lexi Brown does, but th- that that is a good comparison, I think, at least in terms of uh, players who are maybe a little miscast in their roles because of their lack of, uh, you know, defensive versatility. Of course, Lexi Brown is a much better defender, but that's now we're splitting hairs. Um, I think Henderson also her skill set is just pretty replaceable relative to the other players we're calling high end rotation players. You know, we, we just described how valuable Egbo's game is. We just described how valuable Engsler's game potentially is. You know, a, a small guard who can, you know, get hot as a three-level scorer, but, you know, probably isn't going to be on the floor for that much, that often on a good team. Um, kind of a feast or famine type of game on offense. I, I don't know how difficult that type of player is to replace. You know what I mean? And that's, yeah, and, that's... and we're about to talk about, you know, three other perimeter players here after Henderson, and she very well could be the fourth best shooter out of that group of four. Right. Right. I, I do like her shooting game. I think she's a good shooter. I think she should do it more often. But in the context of this Fever team as a whole, I think she's going to have a difficult time getting minutes this season. Um, to be honest, like, I think there's a lot of overlap between her game and Erica Wheeler's. And that's probably not a good thing. You know, not not saying uh, she's a bad player or anything like that, but why are you going to have Henderson on the floor for extended stretches when you just signed Erica Wheeler to a big contract? Maybe I'm wrong, but um, no, I, I I basically agree with everything that that you said. I mean, I am to some degree a believer in Henderson, but it also would not shock me if she just had a hard time sticking in the league long term be, because of everything that you just said. She's point guard sized, but doesn't really do a ton of point guard things. She's kind of has a replaceable skill set. Um, you know, she has a below average usage last year. Her three point volume probably isn't as good as, um, you know, isn't where you'd want it to be for how well she can shoot. Uh, I also kind of lean end of the rotation player. Again, a, a player that I think could probably have a good year if she's given the chance and, you know, plays maybe more in line with what a, rebuilding team should kind of uh, allocate their minutes to rather than, you know, a a max point guard kind of uh, pushing 30, but I digress. Um, So yeah, Henderson is the the first one of these players that we got to where, you know, if, if she's not in the WNBA four years from now, it it wouldn't shock me. I I hope she is, she is. um, But you know, she's kind of one of those players that are, are good enough to be in the league, but, there's also so many spots, I think. Okay, you wanted to talk about Taylor Mikesell real quick, right? Yeah, well, who, who do we have left here? We have Taylor Mikesell and Lexi Hull, uh, Maya Caldwell. Let's let's kind of wrap in the conversation about Mikesell and Hull together because as much as, you know, I think the Fever should maybe keep both of them, like they're probably only going to keep one, I would imagine. Um, I agree. Uh, I definitely agree with that. Mike Sell, I think, a much more accomplished shooter, you know, just in terms of just three-point shooting. All four of her non-Oregon seasons were over 40% on basically eight threes per 40 minutes or higher. Ohio State, or two seasons at Ohio State, 44% shooting on 7.3s per game. That's good. To add to that context, like, those weren't just, okay, stand to the corner and wait for the kickout. No, she's, she's got her range extends, you know, feet beyond the three-point line. And she's a movement shooter. You know, she she can relocate without the ball, and she can attack closeouts. So that that's a very very valuable game. 
yeah, Lexi Hall never once cracked 40% in college, and her high watermark was six and a half attempts per 40 minutes, and they're just completely different in terms of their jump shot versatility, like you're saying. Like, the types of three-pointers that Taylor Mikesell can get off from three are not the shots that Lexi Hall can get off from three. Lexi Hall is a a standstill three-point shooter. I honestly, I kind of like Lexi's maybe ability to be a, a, a driver a little bit more in the WNBA, even though Mike Sell has that kind of floater game. But, you know, neither were great two-point scorers in college. Um, I'm not sure how well the floater will translate. Lexi has a little bit better size. I think she's probably a better lateral athlete defensively. Eric, would you agree with that? Or 100%. I think uh, one thing Lexi Hall maybe doesn't get enough credit for is her screen navigation at defense. That is one thing in college she was she was really good at is navigating screens. Um, players or people who are high on Lexi Hall will be quick to point out that she just won. Did she win AU Defensive Player of the Year or something like that? Like like I put absolutely no stock into that whatsoever. But I, I think I would trust her to be become a better defender than than Mike Sell. I I would definitely agree with that. But I also kind of think like the difference in offense might be more significant both in terms of being greater and being more important uh, to kind of favor Mike Sell over Hull. Sure. You know, neither one of them, I think, are even, you know, superstar, no, starter, no. I mean, maybe, like, if everything goes great for Taylor Mike Sell and she can just, like, hang defensively way better than you could ever imagine, she could be a plus starter in terms of, you know, just a defense-bending movement shooter. Um, But it's a lot to ask for kind of where she is athletically, I think. Yeah, she just doesn't have that next level athleticism. And that's it, it makes me concerned because I'm not sure if she's going to even be able to attack closeouts effectively. In, in college, she she would, you know, give the pump fake and let the defender fly by and she'd drive in and kind of take that little floater. Um, and in college, I think that's, that's a red flag for how that's going to translate to the pros because is she even going to be able to get that off against WMA defenses? Um, also, like, I don't think she's got much off the dribble and I don't think she's got much on defense for you. So WNBA teams do not tend to play one-way shooters who don't contribute in any other phase of the game. I know you disagree with that philosophy, but that is that is what it is. Um, so I think there's still going to be a lot for her to overcome in training camp because that's a crowded position there for Indy. And they do have a little bit more invest in Hall with, with you know where each player was taken respectively in the draft. I, I think they're going to want to – I think they're going to try to do everything they can to keep Hall. Because they don't want to look bad for you know taking her way earlier than everyone else expected them to last season, and then um, move on a year later. Exactly, exactly. So maybe a little bit of sunk cost fallacy there. I think Mike Sell. I totally agree. I think she's the better offensive player. I don't know what the route is for her getting uh, significant minutes in the WNBA, though. Okay, I think that's fair. I guess we can kind of transition to just like what this team does at at the end of the roster here, um, and we can kind of talk about Maya Caldwell within that. I don't think either one of us see Maya Caldwell as a potential superstar. So, um, no. you know, they've, they've got a lot of players signed, uh, obviously can only fit 12 spots. I think there's a decent amount of locks on the roster. Of course, you know, Aliyah Boston, Erica Wheeler, Kelsey Mitchell, Melissa Smith, Grace Berger, Victoria Vivians. I would consider those players locks near locks. I would say Emily Engsler and Queen Egbo. I think, you know, a lot of people would probably consider them locks, but I do. Yeah, I, I think players, we've seen young players with serious flaws who are borderline bad their rookie season and need development time, just not being given that development time. So I would be very surprised if they, if either of them were cut, maybe Eggbo a little bit less than Eggster just because they have their center, but I don't know. Uh, anyway, and then for the end of the roster, there are four spots between. Destiny Henderson, Taylor Mikesell, Lexi Hull, Maya Caldwell, Christy Wallace, and Emma Cannon. So they they only have to cut two of those players besides their three training camp contracts, uh, Betty Hittar, Chelsea Perry, and Renaya Davis. You know, again, players that people are pretty high on in, in some circles. So they the Fever definitely did a good job of bringing in interesting players. What they didn't do a good job of is making sure that they can keep all of the most interesting players with some of their off-season moves. Yeah. Um, you know, they signed Emma Cannon to a protected contract, but, I mean, they can still afford to cut her and carry 12, which I think 
it's probably unlikely that they do that, but I think it's significant that they can if they wanted to. And then retaining Victoria Vivians on a two-year protected deal. Um, almost all of those players that I mentioned that are basically on the bubble for this team are are more worthy of a roster spot on this specific team, or a rebuilding team with a lot of developmental minutes that should be going around than Victoria Vivians. Like We know who Victoria Vivians is. I just think that's a, a killer for what this team should be trying to do. And, you know, I don't want to be too harsh here, but she's just an actively damaging player for, you know, your offense who is blocking playing time for players that might maybe be part of the next good fever team. And I, I just don't think Vivians has any chance of being that. And she also just takes so much off the players that are off the table for the players that are on the court, you know, never mind the minutes that she's taking away, but you know, between her massive inefficiency and her high usage, you know, the the high watermark for her uh, since her knee injury after her rookie season is the 20th percentile league-wide inefficiency. Uh, and she's always had above average usage from there. So, you know, that's not a player that I would be signing huge money to while you're, you have a bunch of inter- other interesting wings on roster that you want to play. Yeah, I mean, they already have Hall and Engstler, and even if Hall doesn't make the team, they, they signed Maya Caldwell, who had a, a better-than-expected rookie season for Atlanta. They drafted Mike Sell. They traded for Christy Wallace. So that's that's a pretty healthy training camp competition you've got going on there in the wing. And if you have a team that, once again, you're probably not going to make the playoffs, and that's okay, why, why are you investing money to kind of make this competition more difficult than it needs to be? Like, I think you, you, you put it well there when you said... Uh, She's not going to be a part of the next good fever team. So, so what are you doing here? What's what's the strategy? That knee injury is, is really a bummer, Stephen. Because if you look at her rookie season stats, I mean, she nearly shot forty percent on on four point eight threes attempted per game. There was something there for sure. But ever since then, just not efficient at all from anywhere on the court. It's really been disappointing. So, and she takes the the twenty seven minutes a game last season. I don't think she's going to play that much this season. But like you said, like any amount of time is just going to be taken away from the players who developmentally need those minutes more than she does. Like which of those players, you know, is she taking those minutes from Christy Wallace? All right, fine. She's going to be like 28. That that doesn't really matter. But is she taking those minutes away from, from Emily Angsler, from Lexi Hull? You know, there's just besides Wallace being maybe a little bit further than this team, like in the, the age, uh, you know, development but she's just a much better player i think than victoria vivians um but to to take a step back let's just talk about who you would kind of keep for the end of the roster here i'll I'll run through those names again so cutting two basically of henderson hull mike sell caldwell christy wallace and emma cannon who emma cannon you know shout out to her 60 percent true shooting last year you know she she she's good she earned that protected contract that they gave her for sure who would i keep or who do i think they're gonna keep those are two very different questions. Uh, both. I, I think, yeah. Yes. Because okay. I think we probably both think that they'll keep Emma Cannon. Okay, yeah, I, I agree. I think they need a vet, and I think she, she did earn that, that spot uh, on the bench, maybe. Um, so that's so then, then we're at three spots left, right? I would keep Mike Sell over Hall. I think they'll keep Hall over Mike Sell. I think you give Henderson another year to try and, and, and figure it out. I don't think she's going to play that much, however. And then of the remaining wing players... I think I lean Maya Caldwell because she just gives you that extra gear of athleticism that the others don't. And first of all, I like her more than I like Lexi Hall right away. Um, and I think she just, she's just earned that, that extra shot. You know, obviously that three point shooting from Atlanta is not real because no player is going to shoot that well over the course of an entire season, but she would just add a different dimension. I think on both ends of the floor than any of these other wing players would. How about you? I think I would keep Henderson, Mike Sell, Hull, and Wallace. I know there's a lot of overlap between Mike Sell and Hull, but I mean, you're you're trying to figure it out, man. Like, you, well, it's not a bad thing if you yeah. get 40 minutes to get three point shooting. So. And you you need, I think, more than one training camp to figure out which one of these players is gonna, you know, be the the better fit to fill that role. If you are only gonna keep That's one true. of them, uh, you know, you know what you're getting from Emma Cannon. Um, you know, Maya Caldwell. I just I think more likely than not, it's just like. None of it was real last year. Like she was a thirty percent three point shooter in college, on pretty heavy volume, and she, obviously she didn't play a lot last year. But 
Uh, she shot way over her head. Um, you know, she was a very poor finisher at, at the rim, but then also shot 50% on her non-paint twos. Like, I don't think that's really going to be all that real. So I, I like her. I think she's a very interesting flyer. If they didn't sign Victoria Vivians, I would definitely want to keep Caldwell over Vivians uh, again, because of the upside she should bring. But, you know, I mean, if they cut Christy Wallace, I guess I wouldn't be that surprised. They, you know, basically kind of just did a, a little bit of a salary dump so they could bring in, uh, Erica Wheeler. To, that's probably true. Yeah. You know, so, um, but Emma Cannon, you know, I think Erica Wheeler, like that's why you bring in Erica Wheeler on a max to be that locker room vet. So I, I, I don't think Cannon really needs that. And, you know, I, I also, if I'm the GM, like I don't want to tempt my head coach with the safety net of Emma Cannon. You know, I, I want Melissa Smith and Aaliyah Boston and Emily Engsler to play as many minutes as they can handle and, and Queen Agbo as well. So, you know, that would be part of my thinking also. All right. So anything we need to talk about for the fever long-term that we haven't already hit on? Well, you know, I, I think it wouldn't be too interesting to do strengths and weaknesses, but I guess, you know, like, what do you think this core is still missing? Like, how have they done kind of building out the... Because we, we had a couple superstars in these uh, young players that we went through, you know, or stars, two superstars. You know, Kelsey Mitchell, we would both consider at minimum a star player, so... You know, for this team, two, three, four years from now, when they're a fully formed team, like what what have they not addressed yet? I'm not sure if there's anybody on this team who could be a primary perimeter defender. I'm not even sure if there's anyone on this team who could be a primary point of attack defender, and that's that's not great. I, obviously, they've addressed the front court defense. You you don't need any more front court defense, okay? Like you've got Aaliyah Boston and Queen Agbo, Like I said, 40 minutes of really good defensive play at center. At center, so maybe you need more defense from Nalissa Smith, but that goes without saying. Um, who are you putting on the opposing team's best perimeter scorer? Like, is it is it Berger with her size? Is it Hull with her size? Is it Vivian's with her maybe? Is it Angsler maybe? Angsler with her, her playmaking ability? I I don't know. Like, there's a lot of there are a lot of theoretical options there, but I'm not sure if I have any faith in in any any more faith in any one option than I do the others. So, I don't know. I think that's that's still a pretty glaring. Like, maybe one of these players becomes a, a reliable perimeter defender. I'm not seeing it right now. Do you agree? No, I definitely agree. Yeah, they okay. Okay. they don't have that, you know, who's guarding Jewel Lloyd, who's guarding Courtney Vandersloot, at the, who's guarding Chelsea Gray at the end of the game type of player, at least um, in – you know, their long-term building. I would also say that they need a real primary initiator. Like who is going to be the lead creator for themselves and others on a plus offense? Like, you know, Kelsey Mitchell, we, we talked about her big leap in terms of her playmaking. Um, but, you know, she's she's not a one uh, on offense. You know what I'm saying? She's not the, the best player on a really good offense. And I think, Stephen, honestly, uh, I think keeping her at the one is kind of almost a disservice to her own game. You know, because she's got such a versatile and, and deadly jump shot, um, you want to be putting her in different positions to score. If you're just giving the ball to Kelsey Mitchell and asking her to break down defenses every every time, that's it's not really optimizing her game either. So, you know, for as much as she's shown improvement as a playmaker, you're right. She's she's not that she's not that player. You know, they just need a ball handler who can score from all three levels, who can shift the defense. You know, make advanced reads while shifting the defense. I. I don't think they have that, and it will be hard to, I think, address that player and the perimeter player in the same player because they need to, that player, if you're sticking with Kelsey Mitchell as a, a building block in your team, this this number one option for you also kind of has to be a plus defensive player because Kelsey Mitchell is not a plus defensive player. I think they're probably still a little light on shooting, um, especially you know if they go with, Angsler, Nalissa Smith, Aaliyah Boston, or, you know, even Lexi Hull, Nalissa Smith, Aaliyah Boston, like you're going to be playing, at least in this configuration, you know, your starting lineup is going to have Erica Wheeler, Nalissa Smith, and Aaliyah Boston, and that's not really, you know, Kelsey Mitchell, more often than not, is probably going to be the one plus shooter that you have on this team. So, you know, the good thing is they have a couple bites at the apple. Maybe Hull is that player. Maybe Mike Sill is that player. But you probably don't want really either of those players like being the three for you full time. You know, they they're probably more twos than threes. Maybe Hull can play up to 
to small forward, but you know, there there's a lot of positional overlap there with Kelsey Mitchell, I think. And then they just don't have anybody in the front court who you feel really good about a, about being a consistent floor spacer, I think. Sure, sure. They bring in Erica Wheeler on this max contract. You would assume the starting backcourt will be Wheeler and Mitchell. What does that look like? Like Wheeler's game has to kind of be scaled back a little bit, right? I mean, we've we've seen what it looks like because they started together before. Um, yeah, it's not great. Yeah, we. I I understand why they would want to bring in Erica Wheeler. I don't think she's really going to make this team better in any material way. She was. Well, they don't need to be better this year. No, they don't. They do not. That's true. They just and, but also I don't think she's like the type of bridge the gap point guard that's going to put your young players in the best position to develop. Like I I don't think she's a premier playmaker. Like I don't think she's going to kind of set people up um, to kind of have, you know, find them their best selves offensively. You know, I think one of the more interesting things about this team, especially this year is like what Aliyah Boston looks like in the pick and roll. Erica Wheeler was in the 14th percentile as a pick and roll player last year. She just, even if we want to see Boston, you know, what that player looks like, she, she just doesn't have that pick and roll partner, even still coming to the pros. Maybe that ends up being Berger. Um, you know, Kelsey Mitchell is, again, she's a score-first player. I think even Erica Wheeler is a little bit more of a score-first player than I agree. someone that's just going to dime you up. So, I don't know. It's, again, I, I get why they did it. I don't really care for it all that much. I hope that they get their point guard of the future in the next draft because I think that's really the one thing that's going to kind of lock this core all in, in together probably is if they can get one of the premier point guards of the next couple of classes. You know, I, I was kind of surprised that they didn't take another guard in the draft just for that reason. Because, um, I mean, at, at 17, they took Ladeja Williams. At 25, they took Victoria Saxton. Neither of those players are going to make the team. And I'm not sure, because, I mean, this is a very crowded front court training camp in which you have a lot of players who just aren't going to make the team. Um, so, I, like, I would I would prefer they, they draft uh, another guard there but, maybe uh, they see Berker as that player as i mean you know the, now that we're thinking about it now that i think about it, that that may very well be the case because it, it, it does seem like they waved um they waved caleb pointer before the draft so like it was clear like they they, they wanted Berger for sure so that's that's probably what they're going with right i i assume that's at least an option on their roadmap as they kind of think about what this team could develop into over the next couple of years is, you know, will, will Berger really be like the primary initiator for us here? And I don't know, who knows? I, we, we talked about it. I don't think we have to relitigate it, but um, I think that's, I could see that sort of being part of their calculation for sure. They can afford to try this for this year. And if it doesn't work out, oh, well, you're in the draft lottery again, you know? Yeah. Which I think no matter what they do, they'll probably be in the draft exactly. lottery again. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah, I think we both expect them to be in the lottery, you know, not overly competitive, you know, maybe look a little bit more competent. Uh, Eric, do you think this will be a better offense or a better defense next year? No. Oh, I need to actually answer it. I think they'll be a better offense. They have good off, uh, defensive centers now, but they really don't have any good defense anywhere else. And for as good as Aaliyah Boston is, I don't think she'll be able to single-handedly drag this team out of defense uh, out of like the bottom, like I don't maybe maybe they won't be the worst, but I don't think they're gonna be any better than like ninth, tenth, maybe yeah, tenth maybe. It, it's it's gonna take a little while. Yeah, I agree. Usually does. At, at at offense, I mean, you at least have you at least have Kelsey Mitchell. You at least have some semblance of shooting on the wing now. You've got a player who I I think many would expect to take that next offensive leap in Nolissa Smith. So you at least have some kind of offensive infrastructure there defensive infrastructure i have no idea what that's going to look like i guess my, my last question before we wrap up here is like do you do you feel good about kind of where this team is in in their rebuild like they they got Aliyah boston they it feels like they kind of got their real sort of franchise big that they've been sort of missing out on the last few drafts yeah i mean Aliyah boston was really the perfect uh player for them to draft so they, i mean first of all they got very very lucky in the draft lottery but they didn't have the best odds overall, so I guess it's not that lucky. Um, yeah, I feel a lot better about their direction than I did last year, maybe even two years ago. They had actually a good draft this time. Like, when was the last time you could say, like, okay, the Fever were bad, but, man, they had a great draft. You know, I mean, you had this 
bewildering pick of Kaiser Gondrzyk in the draft lottery. Um, you had Lauren Cox, who I think I liked that pick at the time, but that didn't that didn't turn out. And in hindsight, it was pretty clear to see why. Yeah, I mean, I mean, when was the last time you could look at the draft and say, "Wow, you know, the Fever they may be bad, but yeah, they're headed in a great direction." You know? Yeah, twenty eighteen maybe when they they you know they got Mitchell, they got Vivians. Vivians mm-hmm. had a great rookie season, um, but it's been a while. You know, I it it feels nice to kind of uh, feel like this rebuild. I think is finally. Heading, you know, it has some real direction. I think they have building blocks. You know, still a little bit of volatility, I think, in, you know, Smith and, and Berger and stuff like that. But they they got their their foundational piece, I think. Uh, you know, maybe a few of them, but at least one very safe foundational piece with huge upside in, in Boston. So that's awesome to see. Oh, and they, uh, lest we forget, um, they also hired uh, Christy Sides as their head coach, their new head coach. I believe this is her first ever head coaching uh, gig in the WNBA. So, yeah, they are really building from the ground up here. Minute 73, we finally mentioned they have a new head coach. Very professional. But yeah, so we, we do probably great not job great, here. but uh, forgive us. Okay, thank you all so much for listening. If you want to support the show, please do so by following, rating, and reviewing on Apple, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. You can follow the show on Twitter at DoubleDownWNBA. You can follow Eric at Nimchok E or myself at Trinkwald. And uh, we'll be back next week. Only a few more of these left, Eric. All right. Take care, everybody.